Amen. Well, it's good to be here tonight. I'm glad to see each one, every one of you tonight. Did anybody bring the rock back? <laughs> all right, I'm going to put mine right here and make sure that thing don't cry out in my place. All right. <laughs> it is good to be here. And I told you this morning we're going to look at the, uh, I guess you call it the triumphal entry. It's what we usually call this uh, this section of scripture. My Old Schofield King James Bible, that's what uh, Schofield's put on the, on the top of the, the entry there, the triumphal entry. Uh, but we recognize this today. Of course, most churches call this Palm Sunday. Now, uh, if, you, if you add up the events of the life of Jesus, probably this didn't happen on Sunday. It was probably before that. And just like the, the, the death of Jesus, I'm sure it was not on a Friday because it don't add up. But... Uh, we won't get into that tonight. Somebody might want to use those rocks to stone me with, but uh, uh, we are going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, be taking our text from, and we'll look at the first 11 verses. Matthew chapter 21, and the first 11 verses. And if you're able to stand, would you please stand to the reading of God's Word tonight? Matthew 21, starting with verse 1. And here the Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Lord, help us. Thank you for the good spirit tonight we've had thus far, the good singing. And Lord, we're just asking now that you help us, you fill us full of your spirit. And God, that, that your word will go in and do a mighty work in our hearts tonight. And we'll give you the praise and honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, what we read, like I said, is usually referred to as the triumphal entry. All four of the Gospels include this in the text. Very important. It's, uh, it's, there's a lot of things that you'll find in this, uh, significant things. And so we call this typically Palm Sunday, which we observe this in. Like I said, I don't believe it was actually on Sunday that this occurred. But it doesn't matter. The, the fact is we recognize the fact that this did occur, that this happened with the Lord Jesus. It was his crowning as King of Kings as he came up that road on this small animal, this donkey, this ass, this foal of an ass, it says. And so the events leading up to this, Jesus had just previously been in Jericho. And we know all the wonderful things that went on there. He had restored sight to blind Bartimaeus. Uh, remember Zacchaeus uh, ran up in the tree to try to see him. He, uh, he brought uh, salvation to his house. 
And so this is a place that's very important, and uh, not only in the history of, of Jesus or in, in that time, but in a future time. All this that takes place is going to be very important. Uh, we saw that Jesus had just recently visited the home there in Bethany of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and was now headed to Jerusalem. Uh, by the way, at Bethpage of the Mount of Olives, it says. And so this will be the last week on earth for our Lord before his betrayal and his uh, mock trial, his beatings and scourgings, and uh, finally hanging on a cross and giving his life for us. And so verse 1 of our text said, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples. So, the Mount of Olives is on a hill east of Jerusalem, about a mile from the city. It is very high up, 2,600 feet high from the top. And you can see over to the whole entire city of Jerusalem from there. Uh, this place is very important, like I was saying, in history. Uh, back then, all these wonderful things that happened. But in the future, we see the scripture tells us that the Lord is going to return in the same like manner as he left here. And he left in this same place. Uh, this is where Jesus delivered his Olivet Discourse, um, the, the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended into heaven, where he will return, as the prophet said. Zechariah 14.4, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So we do have prophecy that about this place. And so Jesus, as he's approaching the holy city, and it is the holy city, it's also called the city of David. It's a city that, that God has anointed and appointed as his city. And it's going to be very important in the end of times, by the way. Verse 2 of our text says, saying unto them, go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her, loose them Bring them unto me, and if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. Straightway he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which spoken by the prophet, saying. Now, what he's telling us now, and they're going to give us the interpretation of this, what the prophet said, is from the Old Testament. It's interpreting itself. It's from Zechariah 9 9. But it goes on to say in verse 5, Tell you the daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon the ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. You know, when you read things such as this, and you think about how the Jews rejected Jesus, it's almost baffling how that they, this, this got by them. I mean, here we see they're recognizing him as a Messiah, as the Messiah, as the king of Israel. But yet, a week later, he's no longer that in their eyes. And so it's so difficult sometimes for us to understand how it got past them. How they missed the time of their visitation, as the Lord will say, just after this. And so Mark 11 and 7 says that, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon them. Now some people think these disciples are Peter and John. It's not stated in the text, but perhaps it could have been. They were part of the inner circle, the close ones that were around him. Uh, but... The, the Gospel of Mark, like we just read, says Jesus rode upon the colt. Now, can you imagine the King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator of this world, the sustainer of life, the Savior, the Messiah, riding on such a meek and lowly animal? 
You know, when Jesus came here, he came that way. He came meek and lowly. Uh, his message was always to come to be the Savior. He was the anointed and appointed Messiah to the Jews. But to have him come in like this, being a king, he could have came in like the other kings of the world came in. Riding upon a chariot or a white stallion with many guards and soldiers and people pronouncing him coming in the way. He could have done all that, but he did not. A simple donkey represents humility. And that's what we find in our Lord, humility. Though he spoke the worlds into existence, he still had humility. He was humble. Now, we notice in the text the animals are borrowed. They did not pay for them, rent them, or buy them. They were borrowed. Jesus told them, just simply tell the guy what you need it for, and he's going to give them to you. And so they were borrowed. Everything the Lord ever had in this walk of life as a man was borrowed. The tomb that he was buried in was borrowed. The manger he was born in, it was, it was borrowed. It wasn't his. It wasn't his parents. This, this, everything that Jesus had was borrowed. He didn't place any emphasis on material things. But yet that seems to be exactly what we want to do in our life. We think it's so important for us to have this and that and be better than that guy over there or that one over there, our neighbor. we got to have the best automobile, best house, best this and that, look the best and sharpest and all that. Friends, we don't need to keep up with the Joneses. That's what they used to call it, keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, I'm showing my age, ain't I? Uh, but listen, these earthly possessions we get so wrapped up in, the Bible cautions us against that, actually. That uh, 1 John 2 and 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now that's pretty stinging. Uh, I remember it's been, it's been several years now back. I was a big, huge NASCAR fan. Uh, my favorite driver was Tony Stewart. Go ahead and start throwing them rocks at me. I like Tony Stewart as a driver. He's a great driver. And I've watched every race. And I collected Stony, Tony Stewart memorabilia. I had the die cast. I had the, you name it. I spent all kinds of money on Tony Stewart memorabilia. Now you think, why well, he's so silly. <laughs> and it was. But back then it seemed to be very important to me for some reason. Uh, you see, what had happened, I'd allowed these things to get into my life to where I thought I needed them. To be happy. I thought, well, if I just had the next diecast that comes out, you know, that's going to make me happy. If I can put that on my shelf and brag and show everybody, it's going to make me happy. It never did bring happiness. And so one day, our, the church I used to pastor, we had a big yard sale. And I brought all the Tony Stewart stuff out, put it in the yard sale, and walked away. One guy come and got it all. <laughs> but listen, these things that seem to be so important to us, they're nothing. We're not taking them with us. The Bible says not to be wrapped up in that. Don't love the things of the world. It says in Matthew six nineteen through 21, Lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's what you'll find. When you get wrapped up into earthly things and these possessions that we have, you find that your heart is there. 
You worried about somebody coming and getting it from you, stealing it. Uh, you lock it up. You get, put a, an alarm up and a camera so you can watch everything. Well, friends, I tell you what, we need to be doing what the Bible says and laying up our treasures in heaven. The things that really matter, that when we leave this walk of life, all this stuff back here is just going to rot in the ground. Yeah. Friends, those things we put in store up in heaven, oh, that's going to be something. Amen. Well, Jesus didn't put stock in earthly things. And one thing you may not know about a cult, probably most of y'all do, uh, a cult that's not ever been ridden on, not been broken, they're not fun to ride. Uh, I'll give you just a minute to hear this story. When I was a young man, kid, still living at home, we picked blackberries in the summertime. And so Daddy put, gave me a five-gallon bucket and said, go fill it up. And so I went up through Papaw's Woods, and I went out into the neighbor's field, and it was just filled full of blackberry bushes. Nobody's picking them, so I go in there and start picking them. Well, in that field was a little donkey. It's just a small one. It had been out there for a long time, apparently. Its hair was all matted. Its mane was all messed up. Its, its uh, hooves were curled up, so they'd never been taken care of. And so this animal was just kind of wild. It was a wild little colt. And I got into my head I needed to ride that colt. And so I'm in the blackberry thicket there, and I managed to sneak up on that thing and jump on its back. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Have you ever watched them rodeo guys go try to go for eight seconds? Uh, I don't know how long I was on there. It wasn't very long, but it was long enough for that thing to throw me off front ways, backwards, and in the middle of a blackberry bush. And I thought that I was dead. I, I Honestly, I saw stars. I was laying in the middle of, a, of briars all in me. And that, that donkey just running right through the blackberry. Never did see him again. Just took off like lightning. A, a donkey that's never been ridden, folks, usually you cannot control. They are out of control. But the Lord chose one that had never a man sat on. It had never been ridden. And so can you imagine this animal? This is really the most honored animal to ever exist. That the Lord Jesus would actually climb on the back of this animal and ride. And so can you imagine also this young colt, never been ridden on, and here's people throwing limbs in the way, branches and palm leaves. And palm leaves are not small things. They're a good size. Throwing them out, and it said they were throwing their clothes down too. They were throwing their cloaks out in the in the roadway. This was showing their honor to, to him as a king riding in. And so they were throwing all this stuff. And not only that, but it was very, very loud. We said this morning, they said with a loud voice they were yelling out, Hosanna to the king. And so it was loud, it was a crazy mess, it's on a rough road, and we know there's rocks there. The Lord said they'd cry out and these kept the peace, so there's rocks and everything in the way, and here comes this donkey, never been ridden, and Jesus being a grown man, sitting on his back, riding up that road, and it is up a road. Jerusalem goes up. Everywhere you're around Jerusalem, you're going up, and so he's going up this road, all this going on, and here's that little donkey 
going up through there. Can you imagine what that must have been like? You know, a lot of people say, I'd like to go back to this date and time and be a fly on the wall. I'd love to went back to right there and watch that scene take place. What a miraculous thing that it was. And so the Lord makes his triumphal entry riding on the back of this little animal. How beautiful that must have been. Can you imagine how proud that animal was? <laughs> riding the king of all kings on his back. All right, let's go back to our text here, verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. There we go. We see that. They're strawing all this in the way of where this animal has to walk. These branches are mentioned here in verse 8. They're branches of a palm tree. Uh, we see that over in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. The palm tree was considered a sacred tree in that, in that area. The Roman culture also, the palm branches were very significant. It stood for victory. Uh, a palm branch is what they would bring out when they would win a, a case, like a lawyer would win a case. He would put palm branches outside of his office showing that he was victorious. Uh, those games that they played, the... the early Olympics when they won they had palm branches for the winners and so these things were were a sign of victory uh, so when people were throwing these out in front of Jesus they were symbolizing that he was victorious over probably Rome and Jewish oppression that's what they were expecting from a Messiah to come in and save them from Rome they hated Rome they couldn't stand Rome Rome they were under Rome's thumb Rome was taxing them. Rome was imprisoning them. Rome was making it hard on them. They couldn't stand it. And so when the Messiah comes that's been prophesied to save them, well, naturally, they think, well, here he is. He's saving us from Rome. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. And, you know, it's interesting to note that this is not the only place in the Bible where this scene takes place. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 John, we call him John the Revelator a lot, he's the Apostle John, but he, he wrote the book of Revelation, was the human penman of it. God wrote Revelation, but John wrote in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and of kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and looks unto this, and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. Now this is a future occurrence that's going to happen one day when the Jews finally recognize who their Messiah is. For real. For real this time. You see, the first time he came, they rejected him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so there in that momentous occasion, which we call Palm Sunday, throwing out those palms of victory and saying, you know, the Messiah, Hosannas. Well, that didn't last very long. But there's going to be a day when they will recognize the one whom they pierced. And when they recognize the Lord Jesus as Savior. And the same thing's going to happen as they have palms in their hands showing victory, victory, victory. All right, verse 9, back in our text. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, notice they referred to him as the Son of David. 
To be the promised Messiah, you had to be the son of David. And they recognized him as such. They proclaimed him as such. And so this being the usual title by which, which the Messiah was known by for the Jews. The Jews, that's what they called their Messiah, the son of David. And by crying and saying, Hosanna to him, which was done with loud acclamations and united shouts, both companies of all these people, uh, they were showing praise, honor, and glory, and blessings, and wishing him prosperity, happiness, and safety. That's what all that is entailed in that word, Hosanna. And so if you look at Jeremiah 23 and 5, you don't have to turn there, I'll, I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 23 and 5 the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteous. Righteousness. So we see that he's been promised, just like he came in, and they're declaring Yes, this is him. Verse 10, and when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Do you see that? All the city was moved, not some of the city. Not a fourth of it, not a third, not a half, not three-fourths, but all the city was moved. This scene they saw coming from up that hill he was on, descending from 2,700 feet down, and coming down that road and then back up toward the city, approaching it, and all these people yelling and screaming and throwing things. The whole city now is standing and looking and waiting. They're all moved. And friends, I want you to know whenever Jesus is involved, whenever Jesus is around, people are going to be moved. Some will be moved in the right way. Some will be moved in a different way. My dad always had this saying. He said, whenever the name of Jesus is mentioned, there's going to be a reaction of some kind. And you better believe there will. Go somewhere in a public place and just start saying Jesus. See what kind of reaction that you get. You're going to get a reaction. <laughs> it may not be the one you want, but you'll get a reaction. Uh, listen, I can only imagine what happened during this time when all labor must have stopped. Everyone got quiet. Probably all buying and selling stopped. They're all watching the scene come up through there with the Lord Jesus on that little donkey. And the city's moved. And, you know, it's the same way today. Whether a person wants to admit it or not, the very name of Jesus moves you. They ask who is this and just like in the day we live in you say the name of Jesus someone's going to say who is that who is that back at the church I used to pastor uh, I hadn't been pastoring long and I was also the song leader so I was leading the choir um, for Christmas songs we were getting a Christmas cantata ready and one of those songs was Silent Night and so we'd been practicing a lot of different songs, you know, more recent songs. And it came to Silent Night, and I said, oh, there's no need for us to practice that. Everybody here knows it. And everybody started acting all funny. And I'm like, what? 
what, what, what's, what's going on? And there was a guy sitting, a young man, he's a teenager. He was sitting on the back seat of the choir, and he's looking all confused like this. And somebody said, he's never heard a silent night. This boy was about 17 years old, grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he had never heard Silent Night. He had never been to a church and heard a Christmas play put on. He had never been involved in anything like that. He was pretty new to the church and to the youth group and had never heard it. Friends, there's still people around us that's never heard of Jesus. We think we're living here in the Bible Belt where everybody's heard and everybody goes to church and everybody this and that. No, it's not like that anymore. If you go out these doors and right down the road to that establishment there on the corner, I'd say probably half the people in there has never been in church. They've probably never even heard about Jesus. So the city, the people in the city says, who is this? What's all this hoopla about? Why is all these people excited? Why are they yelling? Why are they throwing things? Why is he riding on a... Who is this? So they didn't even recognize the Holy One, even though they're in his city, the Holy City. Even though he had performed miracles among them in the city, he had taught, he'd preached, he told everyone who he was, even though he is the very light of the world that came into this place of darkness, they didn't know who he was. You know, people's always going to be that way. Even in the tribulation period, those people that's going to be in that, there'll be some there that will not know him and will not accept him. Still then. Look at verse 11. And the multitude said, now this multitude is those that's, following him up the roadway, those that are throwing the branches, those that are yelling Hosanna. The multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. You see, they had been watching and waiting for this moment all their lives. It's the one Moses spoke of, Deuteronomy 18, 18. I'll raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he will, shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And so I find it, Kind of ironic that here they are yelling Hosanna in the highest and calling him a prophet. But just a few days later, many of these people are probably going to be standing there yelling, crucify him. Release unto us Barabbas. Crucify him. What a fickle crowd. You see, when they, they thought Jesus was coming in to be their king, the conqueror of Rome, the one that would establish his kingdom and set up a throne there in the city of Jerusalem, when they found out that that wasn't what's going to happen, they didn't care for him anymore. They had no use for him anymore. They were instead looking for someone similar to maybe Alexander the Great, or maybe one of these Roman conquerors that would come in on a stallion and take over. That's what they were looking for. And, you know, that's the way people are today. Uh, if, as long as a preacher can get up and preach about health, wealth, prosperity, good things, how beautiful you are and all that stuff like that, no problem. But once a preacher starts on sin and he hits your sin, <laughs> then we have a problem. There's a problem. Uh, today, 
crowds would rather hear about the Easter Bunny that's coming down the road. Here comes Peter Cottontail. I want you to know here comes Jesus up that road. Jesus is coming. And my question is, do we recognize Jesus as our Savior and our King? Is he the Lord of our lives? And you start talking about making Jesus the Lord of your life, and you've got those that want to say, he's teaching and preaching a lordship salvation. I'll tell you what I'm teaching. He's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And from what I understand from the Bible, and what God's convicted me from, he is Lord of all of my life. And I believe he saved me, he keeps me, and one day he will redeem me. And so listen, Jesus is our Lord. He, it's very clear that those that believe in Jesus will follow him. They will make him their Lord. Luke 14, 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so you have those that say, yeah, I went down and made a profession of faith and that's good enough for me right there. I don't, I'm not a fanatic. I, I'm not one of these crazies like down there at Northside. I'm not like them. Uh, Jesus is fine and he saved me and all, but that's, that's as far as it goes. I've got places going things to do. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus told the rich young ruler in Matthew 10 and 21, he says, take up the cross and follow me. We all remember what he did. He walked away sad. He wasn't prepared to give up all and follow Jesus. In Matthew 16, 24, the Bible says, Jesus said this unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But we do find ourselves today in the same condition as the Jews were in that day. Listen to what the Bible says happened. We didn't read it in the text today, but it's over in Luke 19. This is what happened when Jesus finally approached the city and entered. Luke 19 and 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace... But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I want you to know that this world that we live in right now, this is our time of visitation. And there's many that are missing it. And they will miss it if they don't believe the gospel and be saved. Jesus, as he looked out over this holy city and the people saying, who is this? And he says, the Bible says he wept. Our Lord wept. Why did he weep? Because he knew these people are never going to accept me they're not going to accept me and he wept because for them not himself for them because they missed their time of visitation he fulfilled every prophecy down to the letter 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees should have come out and told the people, look, this man has fulfilled every single prophecy. But instead they said, how can we kill him? What can we do to get rid of this guy? And they missed it. And Jesus wept. Oh, friends, I want you to know, church members today, Christians, we ought to be weeping over the state of this world. Over the loss of this world, it ought to break our hearts knowing that people right now are dropping off into hell. Every second, somebody's closing their eyes in death and dropping off into hell because they missed him. We need to make sure we're doing our part. That it's not our problem, it's not us that's prevented them from hearing the gospel. That we do what we can do to share the gospel. Amen. Brother Scott, you come. If you need to come and pray for any reason, I'd love to pray with you if you need to pray. Brother Scott.